Welcome back to the Lions College Football Podcast. I'm Brett Gibbons with thelines.com, and today I'm joined by Kelly Ford. Kelly, what's going on, man? How are you? I'm good, Brett. It's good to be back. Week one is in the books, and it was wild. I feel yes. like you know half the games almost went exactly how the numbers thought they would, and half the games you were like, what the heck happened in that game? Like, it was just crazy. So we had some crazy results. We had some fun results. Uh, we had some expected results. But, yes, college football's back. If you weren't expecting upsets, this is not the sport for you. Someone even said, hey, it's 2007, 2.0. I said, well, slow down there. That was the craziest year of college football we've ever seen. I'll give you we had some good upsets, but um, until Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State, until they lose, this is not 2007. Let's not get it twisted. But it was an exciting first week, that's for sure. Yeah, exciting, yes. Uh, frustrating, moderately, for those that were betting this slate. If you were on the side of the market, uh, if you had good closing line value, your bets were pretty much worthless because they got eviscerated from Thursday to Friday, even into Saturday. Uh, just some tough, tough looks. A lot of bad beats. Uh, James Franklin punching that ball in against West Virginia to hit the over and also cover the spread. If you're on West Virginia in the under, I apologize. I was on Penn State in the over, so I didn't mind it too much. Uh, but, yeah, a lot of bad beats to go with this week. A lot of huge upsets. Texas State, right? Uh, Colorado were the two teams, I think, of the week there. Uh, if you were a double-digit favorite from the state of Texas, you did not fare very well. Texas Tech also going down at Wyoming. We'll talk about a lot of this. But before we get into it, don't forget to follow the Lions US on Twitter. I'm at Road to CFB, and Kelly's work can be found at K Ford Ratings. We'll be here every single week breaking down the college football slate as well as individual weeknight games. I mean, we've got a loaded, loaded slate this week. I can't wait. We, we can't get to them all, sadly. Like, I, I can't wait to dive into it, but we can't get to every single big game. As much as I would love to, we'd be here for like 40 hours talking college football. Uh, so hopefully we'll touch on some of the big ones, some of the exciting ones here. Uh, you can always scroll in the YouTube bar below to find different time codes for the games that we are covering. But Kelly, I feel like we cannot start this podcast without starting with this game here, and that is Nebraska at number 22, Colorado. How about it? Jumping into the AP Top 25. You know, I don't mind. if It's an AP rating. Who cares? No, I, I was not shaking my head in disagreement. For those uh, listening, I was shaking my head on the video here. I wasn't shaking my head in disagreement. I was shaking my head that Colorado just did a Colorado thing that I yeah. did not expect. Brett, I have them number three in my most deserving rankings. If yeah. you are now, and I don't have them power rated anywhere near three or even twenty-two. Who knows? They keep playing like they are. They could be climbing up those th that list quickly. But in terms of what they've accomplished this year, relative to what the average top twenty-five team would be expected to have accomplished against that schedule this year. They have the third most impressive resume by my numbers right now. So, yeah, I'm not shaking my head about them being ranked. They deserve to be ranked right now. Um, we will see, you know, how things go moving forward. But two years in a row, a team with heavy transfers, uh, I've been too low on. So I'll get to that, I know. But, uh, yeah, it's exciting stuff. Pr Coach Prime's got them going. Yeah, how about this, though? Not only are they ranked, but they are also favored in this ballgame. They are a three-and-a-half-point favorite now. I believe you can still find three without the hook in many places has an over-under 59-and-a-half. It's another Fox Big Noon kickoff. Uh, the, the Colorado Buffaloes are Fox's Dallas Cowboys this year as they are just going to put them on. I'm serious, on their national television, they're going to be their brand this year. Uh, do note, though, that is 10 a.m. local time in Colorado. Didn't matter last week. Not sure that's going to matter a whole lot this week. I mean, this game is sold out. Uh, I love this matchup. It was an awesome matchup in 2019. Had a walk-off field goal in overtime. Uh, you know, Prime's going to have these boys ready to play their first home game uh, against the historic rival. 
I know the coaches haven't been involved in this rivalry. Obviously, the players have not been, but the fans certainly have. And Deion Sanders certainly knows how to get his guys up here. This actually opened up Nebraska minus one and a half, or reopened, I should say, because they were eight and a half before the uh, week got underway. But then it moved really quickly. Uh, you know, people were big on Colorado. Uh, I'll be honest, I actually jumped on an early money line there. That's not actionable information at this point, but I did jump at Colorado money line on the plus side of that there. We need to talk some performances, though, because uh, Colorado, great performances. Nebraska, not so great. Jeff Sims had the most turnover-worthy throws last week. He had four of them, three of which turned into interceptions. It's an early sample size, so I don't know if that's going to regress or progress. If you're throwing turnover-worthy plays, then like more likely than not, they turn into those turnovers. The three out of four seems kind of high for me. Uh, also, another shout-out here, offensive, turkle, uh, uh, <laughs> offensive tackle Turner Cockeron allowed three sacks. He had two more hurries, and he only had 24 pass sets all day. That resulted in a 0.0 pass blocking grade from PFF. Nebraska's offensive line did not hold up very well against Minnesota's defensive line. Uh, you know, they scored on that whatever double pass that was dropped, and like it was a fluky, fluky play there. Um, but still, Nebraska had a 95% postgame win expectancy against Minnesota, but they Jeff Sims their way into a loss. Uh, they held Minnesota just 3.6 yards per play, so the defense showed up. They, they you know, it was well, it's just. They just Nebraska'd it. They just did. Uh, Colorado, they're playing a much, much better defense this week. I was very disappointed with TCU's defense last week. I thought their play calling on both sides of the ball was just inexcusable. They looked confused. They looked surprised. It was just bad. And I think they're going to play a team that's going to be a little bit more buttoned up on the defensive side, but of course a much worse offense while we're at it. Uh, but it was still an undeniable dominance, uh, dominant performance from Shadur Sanders, Travis Hunter, Dylan Edwards with four touchdowns. How about that little speedster there? Uh, and yeah, I, hand up. I was absolutely wrong about Shadur Sanders. He's he's going to be able to play at a very high level in the Power Five. Well, hand up. My numbers were absolutely wrong about Colorado. Um, I'm going to get to them in a second. I start with the team I have projected to win, and I know Colorado's a headliner here. My numbers right now. Still have Nebraska minus three. I'll get to maybe why that is. It's a 58% win expectancy. Nebraska's coming off yet another one-possession loss in walk-off field goal fashion. It gave Minnesota that 13-10 victory, as you talked about, Brett. At this point, it's just ridiculous how many times Nebraska is losing close games, and it doesn't matter who the head coach is. It's just it, – they're cursed. It's crazy. They've got to change that somehow, some way. I thought – 2022 would be the year after a good team in 21 with so much bad luck. Well, 2022 wasn't the year. 2023 starting off the same way. Despite the loss, though, the Huskers are actually up half a point in my ratings um, from last week. They're coming in at number 50 now. The offense was worse than expected. They fell from 68 to 76, but you mentioned it. The defense was much better than expected, rose from number 48 all the way up to number 22. You can ask how gives Minnesota's offense. You can ask about any team in the Big Ten West. I get it. We are adjusting for opponent here. This is what we're going for. Um, I currently have the Nebraska defense as the best unit in this game, and they're certainly going to be tested by this Colorado offense. Yeah, I, I wanted to just back you up really quickly to, to interrupt here. You said that you have Nebraska favored. I have an interesting, interesting stat that uh, I have been tracking since Chris Felica first, the Bear, had brought it up a few years ago. Unranked teams like Nebraska that are favored over teams ranked between 20 and 25. I know it's a lot of qualifiers, but a classic thing, Nebraska at 22 Colorado have won 28 of 35 matchups straight up since 2010. Last year, those teams went 6-3. and three. So 
the odds don't favor them currently, but they did open as favorites, and your numbers are saying that they are favored here. That's just an interesting trend. It's an interesting statistic. And you said Colorado's deserving of being 22, but maybe not necessarily power 22. So if you are looking to bet Nebraska, there is some historical data behind you where you could take a money line flyer. Totally. And I think that's an interesting stat. You're right. And I think it speaks to uh, how the AP poll voters historically have ranked teams. I think they put teams that are in there. And again, ranking with a resume versus rating from a power model, two very different things. I think by the end of the the, the rankings, people are kind of merging those two things together. I think it speaks to how voters are, are ranking teams in those ranges. So I'm not overly surprised by that stat. I'm probably a little surprised at just how lopsided that's been, but I'm not surprised yeah. that the favored unranked team wins more times than they don't because that's the power rating world. And that's looking forward. The ranking is what's a resume that's looking backwards, which is not informative for projecting forward. So again, I'm getting down the weeds on that, but I do think that's a good stat. Um, For Colorado, only Oklahoma rose more in my power ratings this week than the Buffs. They're up an impressive 6.3 points. They're now number 70, which is 28 spots higher than they were last week. It's the largest jump I had in my rankings from week one to week two. Colorado is clearly better than I was giving them credit for, and I'm not necessarily surprised by that. The same thing happened with USC last year. What is a bit surprising to me is just how easy this offense made it look against last year's national championship game finalist, TCU. And I do think, I'm not trying to take anything away from Colorado, certainly. I do think it's fair to question, is this TCU team what we expected coming into this year? Because, you know, 2022, they were really good last year. and They had a magical season. They won a lot of close games. Was that a one-hit wonder team? It's too soon to say. But that's if we're going to give credit to Colorado, we do have to question how good was TCU? We will learn that in the coming weeks, and things will adjust themselves. Colorado will, will find its level. Water always does. The offense jumped from 88 to 47 this week. You talked about Shadir Sanders. Absolutely. The defense remained unchanged at number 108. So still have concerns about that defense for Colorado. This game should be strength for strength. It's the Colorado offense versus the Nebraska defense. It might come down to which of the other units outperforms the expectations that my model has. Bottom line, I have Nebraska minus three on the road. Probably hasn't fully caught up to, to Colorado yet, but it equates to a 58% win expectancy for the Cornhuskers. Yeah, and, and that's this is a big lesson in, in being successful when it comes to betting. You have to be able to look back and say, my priors are wrong. My priors about Colorado were dead wrong. You know, you, you can victory lap say, hi, I told you week one, sure, that, that's fine. But now I am adjusting. So I don't want to hear people holding me accountable for, well, you said week one, they'd be bad. You said in the preseason, they'd be bad. Yeah, now I'm watching them and adjusting my opinion on them. So please do not come at me uh, and say that I was uh, hilariously wrong about Colorado when I'm, when I'm changing my stance on them here. But I-, I wanted to ask you a question here because this is very interesting now a year and a week in a row. Transfers are clearly a blind spot in current power rating projections. All of them, not, not yours, not calling you out. The SP Plus started with USC at 46 last year. Uh, and, and, you know, how. I was, I was in the low 20s, just to be fair. fair. So oh, I was, okay. act, I was actually right. closer than SP Plus on that, which I don't get to say often. So I got to take my <laughs> victory lap. Bill, Bill is obviously the best that does it. So. Yeah, it, it's just. It, we knew that it would be a blind spot. People acknowledge it as a blind spot, but how big of a blind spot is it? Do you anticipate this being a slow fix, or by next year, will these numbers be figuring things out? Yeah, every year we learn more and more about roster construction via the transfer portal. USC was the 
prime example last year. This year, the prime example is Colorado, and they've taken it kind of to the next level, just like we learn more and more about FCS to FBS transition teams. Last year, it was James Madison. This year, it's Jacksonville State and Sam Houston. Next year, it'll be Kennesaw State. So I expect my model and others, you know, SP Plus and, and all the others that are out there to improve in this area over time, but it will take time, yes. I'm really interested to see how the market reacts to whatever the next team is to complete overhaul, overhaul your roster. Because after the successes of USC, Colorado, Texas State uh, had 37 transfers themselves, I'm interested to see if the market is going to correct, if somebody's able to crack this code in the offseason, or if there's just going to be a ton of value for betters in week one every year when there's a team that's completely rebuilt. As long as you can look at the rebuilt roster and say, yeah, they brought in an interesting offensive system, Sean Lewis, G.J. Kinney. They brought in a good quarterback, talented quarterback, uh, you know, TJ Finley, Shadira Sanders, like that kind of model may be able to work moving ahead. Uh, it's something I'm definitely noting for next year, the preseason. I just like to see how that, uh, how that plays out. Uh, like I said, I jumped on Colorado plus 120 when this first opened. That's not helpful or actionable. Uh, if you were able to do that, though, what is helpful and actionable is uh, you can play it back the other way now if you'd certainly like to. I don't recommend doing that because sports books don't like it very much, uh, and they will, <laughs> they'll limit you pretty quickly if you're doing stuff like that. Uh, but it's tough to recommend taking the points with the Huskers on the road at this side of three. Uh, there are some three and a halfs that are popping. If you can find that, that's more of a consideration in my opinion here. But I'm actually more interested in Travis Hunter's receiving yards. It's at 63 and a half uh, over at FanDuel. I'm interested in taking over there, I think. Nebraska's secondary, even though the defense as a whole is better, I don't think Nebraska's secondary is somebody to match up with him. I mean, Travis Hunter made Josh Newton look pedestrian. And Josh Newton is a preseason All-American. Uh, this wasn't some chump that he was beating up on. Like, he dominated him. Uh, had a sick touchdown catch that, unfortunately, was just out of bounds. But, uh, yeah, I, I think I'm looking at over, over his receiving yards. And Dion's the type of coach to force the ball to his guys to get a Heisman campaign going. Of course he is. He's a showman. He knows what's up. So he's going to force the ball to Travis Hunter there because he played so many snaps both ways, garnering a ton of national attention. I saw him compared to Shohei Otani. Uh, so he knows he's keeping up in the media. He knows what's up. I think he's going to force the ball to Travis Hunter. I think this is a good opportunity to take over the yards before the market catches up to it. Uh, plus, I consider any time touchdown at plus 110. He was targeted multiple times in the red zone. And uh, he's just better than anybody else he's going to be lining up against for the vast majority of the year. So I think I'm going to be able to uh, – I think I'm going to target that. If you're a DFS player, if you're allowed to do that, Travis Hunter almost certainly is a lock depending on his salary. Okay, moving forward. That was a lot about Nebraska-Colorado, but of course it was going to be uh, – I think we fully expect that there. Let's talk the number 12 Utah Utes. They are favored by 7.5 points on the road at Baylor. With an over-under 47.5 points, this game, I had to double-check this one, kicks off at noon on ESPN, uh, noon Eastern. Uh, early game there for, uh, for Waco. These two teams have never met on the gridiron before, and yet they're going to be Big 12 foes next year. Uh, so interestingly, they're going to go from never playing to playing, uh, maybe not every year, uh, but consistently. Now, important to note, Blake Shapin, he is out two to three weeks with, with an MCL injury. Sawyer Robertson is going to start in his place. He's a pretty good-sized kid, former four-star prospect who uh, started out with Mississippi State, transferred in. Uh, pretty good short and intermediate passer, has some pretty good zip on the ball. Uh, he's got a decent arm. He's not a burner with his legs, but he will and can move when he needs to. Now on the other side, Cam Rising, Brant Keithy, they're still questionable. They didn't play last week. A lot of guys didn't play last week for, for Utah. That were a lot of surprises. We'll uh, get into that here in a second. Last I saw, they called Cam Rising a true game dime decision. 
So keep in mind there, uh, the, the market is certainly taking into account that he is not guaranteed to play. But we saw uh, Bryson Barnes come in and uh, first play of the game, 70-yard touchdown. So he's pretty talented. I think he'll be able to keep things together. One thing I was really concerned about, Baylor's offensive line was absolutely whipped by Texas State last week. Two starters on that Baylor offensive line allowed 13 pressures against Texas State's defensive line. And like, no, no offense to them, but they're not Utah's defensive line. Uh, last last week, a lot of guys didn't start. Uh, they were missing Junior Tafuna. He was out. He's back this week. They're starting uh, missing two, I think, uh, starters along that offensive line, uh, defensive line. Pardon me, at least. Now they come up and they get to absolutely feast on this Baylor offensive line that did not play very well. If you got the opening number under seven, uh, congratulations. That's a great bet. I wasn't able to scoop it up in that. Uh, it probably isn't coming back. Yeah, I'll get to Baylor in a second. I'm going to start with the favorite, as I always do. We start with my projected winners. I have Utah minus 11. So, yeah, if you got it at under seven, uh, well done. Um, it's a 78% win expectancy. While my eyes weren't overly impressed with Utah in their 24-11 to home win against Florida, and all eyes were on them. It was that weeknight game. They had the primetime slot. No NFL going yet. The model actually viewed it as a slightly positive performance, which I was a little bit surprised by, to be completely honest. But that's why I have the model. That's why I use it to adjust what my eyes are seeing, too. The Utes are up nearly a point in the ratings and are number 16 nationally. The defensive improvement from 22 to 14 was just slightly more than the offensive regression from 12 to 21. And again, no cam rising, so you weren't expecting them to actually play like the number 12 team or 12 offense in the country without QB1. I expect Utah to have the edge on both sides of the ball in this one, especially when their offense is out there against the Baylor defense. And speaking of Baylor, you touched on it like, what the heck happened in week one against Texas State? 97% win expectancy. It's the highest of any team that lost the game in week zero or week one. It means Baylor is currently my number one underachieving team early in this 2023 season. I mean, again, it's going to change, but things aren't, you're behind the eight ball by a whole game now. I mean, you had a 97% win expectancy. That's 0.97 wins you're expecting to get. You got zero. You're nearly a full game below expectation before you've even gotten on the board. Like, this is not good for Dave Aranda and the Baylor Bears, a team that many people had as kind of a sleeper pick in the Big 12, a chance to maybe bounce back after a good 21, not a great 22. Can they get back to that form? Man, they're a long way from it. Only Arkansas State and North Texas fell further in my power ratings this week. The Bears are down more than six points, and they plummeted from number 28 to number 55 overall. The 27-spot drop in the rankings is the largest for any team in the negative direction this week. Offense dropped just slightly from 30 to 38, but it was the defense, as you mentioned, that took a nosedive from 49 to now 96. I mean, yikes, dude. It's just not good. Now that defense is expected to stop a top 25 Utah offense. I I mean, I just – I don't see it. The game's in Waco, but that didn't help the Bears last week. So, I don't know, man. Bottom line, I have Utah minus 11 on the road. It equates to a 78% win expectancy for the Utes. Yeah, I'm actually on the other side of 10 here. I have uh, Utah by about nine points. Um, I'm trusting your numbers better than my aggregated ones. There's been some funny numbers this week uh, in it that I need to double-check here. But, again, the, the, the way the Baylor's offensive line played against Texas State, I, I said it before, I, I'm not trying to dig at Texas State. Maybe they have a great game-wrecking defensive line. Maybe it'll show up all year, but I could be wrong. I don't think that's what it is. I think Baylor's offensive line just played really, really poorly uh, and now this is just an enormous mismatch as Utah returns all their stars. Uh, I think they're absolutely going to dominate that. We'll see if it touches seven again. I don't mind laying that. Uh, I also don't think it will. 
touch seven again. I I am going to look at maybe some under rushing totals for Richard Reese and Dominic Richardson if those become available, when those become available. FanDuel typically, uh, Bet Rivers is the other one that releases those pretty early. Those are the two I'll probably be looking at uh, just because they're not going to be running behind much blocking. Uh, pressing forward, we have number 23, Texas A&M, a four-and-a-half-point road favorite at the Miami Hurricanes. It has an over-under of 51.5 points. This game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. on ABC. This over-under has been bet up from 48-and-a-half. Uh, this was an early bet that I think was put out there by a couple of pretty respected services here. Uh, I was able to jump on it, and I probably still would jump on it. Uh, we'll talk about that here in a bit. But if you're looking at the early rain forecast, it calls for about a 25% chance of rain. So if you just pull up the, the thing and it, and it shows the big rain cloud, well, look, look at the percentages, 23 or 25%. It's, you know, it's still a toss-up here early in the week. Miami was missing offensive tackle Zion Nelson. Uh, he missed last week. He could return this week potentially. Tight end Elijah Arroyo missed last week, but it's a good chance that he's available uh, on Saturday. Miami, interestingly, 1-5 in outright against the SEC since 2013. Of course, they took that beating on national television from Alabama in 2021. Uh, but yeah, 1-5 against the SEC. And also Jimbo Fisher is 8-1 against Miami straight up, dating back to his days at Florida State. But that is dominance, and we've talked about it on this before. I do believe in a coach having a team's number and being able to beat them consistently. Jimbo Fisher, good track record against Miami. The SEC, good track record against Miami here. Uh, Texas A&M's offense, I thought it looked uh, different in a very good way. They're actually 26th in seconds per play. So maybe, uh, maybe Jimbo over there did hand the keys over. Granted, that was against New Mexico. So, you know, take it with a grain of salt. Take it with a grain of salt, but I agree with you. I'm going to get to that. This is my number two game of the week. I wrote about this one for thelines.com. That article is up. Um, I have Texas A&M minus two. It's a 55% win expectancy. A&M's rating rose nearly a point this week, but their corresponding ranking fell one spot. It's a good reminder that the rating movement and ranking movement aren't always the same. If you're a fan of this team, though, you should be more concerned with the rating movement. So it was a good performance for A&M against a lowly New Mexico team last week. But again, we're adjusting for opponents here, especially well, they, were on mad, they were mad at you for that. <laughs> people I, were I angry at you for that, dude. I, I know that's <laughs> why I'm putting it in this podcast or this show too. It's like, like they're like, how do we win a game 52 to 10? And this was just one guy or one account. How do we win a game 52 to 10? And we go down and I'm like, well, actually it's a really good point. Thanks for asking about it. As I try to put a positive spin on a negative attitude on Twitter X, whatever, which we always get rating movement, ranking movement, not the same thing. That's why I put both on the graphic. When I'm putting those graphics out there with my updated top 25 or top 30, I guess, in the first graphic and all the way down to 133, on the left side, I'm tracking ranking movement up and down. On the right side, I'm tracking rating movement up and down. Everyone wants to see what's my team ranked. It's really what's my team rated. And that's hard for people to, to keep in mind, but it's important. I'll keep preaching it. We'll keep going. Listeners of this show and viewers of this show get that. So I won't harp on it anymore. I'm preaching to the choir. It was a really good week for AM, especially on offense. You talked about it. I have this Aggie offense up um, to number 28 from number 49 last week. The model really liked what it saw in game one of the Bobby Petrino era at offensive coordinator. The defense fell from number four, but they're still ranked number 11 nationally. Maybe number four was an overshot. Maybe it's not. Maybe, maybe they'll, they'll round into form two. They're still a really, really good defense with a lot of talent there uh, in College Station. Miami was my number one biggest underachiever in 2022. We talked about Baylor currently has that spot right now. It'll change. But Miami ended the year number one biggest underachiever. 
Hurricanes took a big step towards putting last year in the rearview mirror with a really solid 38-3 to win last week against Miami of Ohio in the Miami Bowl, as you termed it, which I loved, Brett. Um, the Canes are up three and a half points in the ratings, and both units improved significantly. The offense from 55 to 37, the defense from 28 to 13. I mean, man, this, this defense, again... I know that I know it was Miami of Ohio. Uh, that's a good team for max standards, but uh, they're going to play stiffer competition. But I was impressed by that defense. Um, this Hurricane team looked more like what my model expected out of the gate in 2022 than anything we got last year. Um, but anyway, they're on a good start here in 23. My biggest question will be, can this Miami offense score enough points in this one to pull out the win? I just don't know. The game is in Miami, so that could prove to be a big factor. But bottom line, I have AM minus two on the road. It equates to a 55% win expectancy for the Aggies. Yeah, and it's so easy to say, oh, it doesn't matter. It was a lower opponent. They're overmatched. They should beat them. But when I look at those games, when I watch those games, because I did watch the full Miami versus Miami game, I look for pace. I look for fluidity in getting the plays in. I look for understanding. I look for reads. Not necessarily, oh, wow, this guy looks good because he's talented. It's more a, yeah, they're getting it. They're moving faster. That's not going to change whether they're playing Miami of Ohio or Alabama. They're going to want to play at that same pace, and it does look like uh, Petrino has a big, big influence if he's not calling the full uh, man, uh, full plays for a and uh, I agree with the spread. My numbers come around about the same. Uh, but it sounds like you're suggesting that there is a bit of value on the home dog here uh, if people are looking for a lean. Both teams absolutely took care of business. I don't take a ton away from their games like I just talked about, but you know, tempo and pace look good on both sides for me, and that was their number one uh, bane last year was that they just couldn't get the offense going. Neither team could, and it looks like they've sort of figured things out this year. Um, I would still play the over. It's come up a bit from 48 and a half. Uh, I think maybe – Maybe it's the weather that's keeping it from hitting 52. 52 is a key figure when you're talking about totals here. But I would play it at the 51 and a half or better, which is widely available at time of recording here early Wednesday. Moving forward, we have, oh boy, huh, this game is so great. Number 20, Ole Miss, a seven-point favorite on the road at number 24, Tulane. Has an over-under of 65 points. The game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. on ESPN2. There is a low chance of rain during this game as well. But again, it's Wednesday. Things will change by Saturday. Just keep an eye on that. This is a bitter and storied SEC rivalry that was first played in 1893, Kelly. We're talking some old, old matchups on the slate this year. Ole Miss won that game 12-4. to uh, They had different scoring back in the day there. But that was an official final score from that game, uh, from their first game here. And interestingly, more history, Tulane owns the longest win streak. They went 20 years of not losing to Ole Miss between 1919 and 1939. Very actionable, <laughs> very actionable information for today. Uh, this game opened Ole Miss minus 3.5, and, and then it quickly, quickly moved up to the 7 that we're seeing now. Michael Pratt absolutely dominated South Alabama last week, who I think their defense is still pretty good, even though they were kind of slicing and dice. He had a 100 percent adjusted completion rate I don't think we're going to see that again for the whole rest of the year uh, against quality opponents uh, from him Ole Miss uh, was missing a bunch of offensive guys last week but they still beat Mercer like emphatically a good FCS team 73 to 7 Zakari Franklin did not play Caden Prescore and he's actually out another two weeks so he's not playing this game either but I do have to note Willie Fritz, one of the best coaches, record against the spread, 61.9%. He covers the spread here. I don't don't normally love trends, but when you're talking about a 10-year coaching record of consistently beating the spread, I think that is a sticky 
trend that you can pay attention to. It's a sign of a well-coached team, and it's a sign that he knows what he's doing and keeps these games well within reason when he's an underdog and also taking care of business when he's a favorite. Yeah, no, that's interesting, Brett. Certainly something that I was not tracking specifically. This is my number three game of the week. Uh, I wrote about this one for thelines.com as well. It's up there on the site. Um, man, if I'm ever not working in college athletics, pay some bets on college football early on Sunday. Like when those lines come out, you said it opened minus three and a half. I have Ole Miss minus eight and a half. Now it's seven. You know, it crossed that important number. I mean, it's a 73% win expectancy uh, for the Rebels. The Rebels absolutely demolished Mercer, 73-7 to yeah. last week, and their uh, K-Ford rating improved nearly five points as a result. The offense improved from number 16 to number 7. Uh, the defense actually fell from 31 to 36, but honestly that had more to do with the movement of the units around them than it did actually with Ole, Ole Miss's unit themselves. Um, so that'll happen from time to time in ranking movement. Um, it's going to be a tricky test for the Rebels, though. There's no doubt about no doubt about that. Um, I just think this offense is the best unit in the game. They should be able to put up a good number. Tulane is my highest power-rated group of five team at number 38. That's up from number 44 last week when Tulane took down another G5 power in South Alabama out of, out of uh, the Sun Belt by a score of 37-17. I mean, they were they were a good team, and they showed that, hey, we're the class of the G5 last week um, against South Alabama. The Green Wave offense is now inside the top 20 nationally, and the defense improved 10 spots as well, up to number 53 in the country. This is the only game all season in which my numbers project Tulane to be an underdog. They'll have the home crowd behind them, the confidence that they can beat anyone following last year's Cotton Bowl victory over USC. This should be a phenomenal game. You mentioned Fritz's ability to to perform well against the spread too. Like all of, this has the makings of a great game. It's not every day you got a Power Five team going to a Group of Five home. I'm excited about this one. Bottom line, I have Ole Miss minus eight and a half on the road. It equates to a 73% win expectancy for the Rebels. Uh, big disagreement here, and I don't mean personally. I mean, my ratings have Ole Miss by only three and a half on the road, and you have eight and a half. Uh, interesting there. Looks like um, my numbers suggest that there's some good value in the home dog. Your numbers say no. Take take the visiting SEC team here. It's kind of hard to uh, parse out what we're getting from Ole Miss as they just absolutely rolled Mercer, uh, who's number 32 in the FCS, but that's down because they got killed. Uh, at minus seven and a half, I'd probably be patient and see what happens. Uh, if it kind of slides or wiggles down to seven, I'll probably play uh, Ole Miss. If it doesn't, then I'm probably hands off uh, just because – or I'm sorry, I said wiggles seven. No, I play Tulane, not Ole Miss. If it touches seven, I'm, I'm grabbing Tulane as, as the home dog or, or that seven and a half. But if it's not moving, I, I'm just apprehensive for that because I, I don't like being on the opposite side of the market. Um, do not love fading steam. I love not having to worry about these things, dude. Let you worry about the line movement, where we're at with everything. Here's what my numbers say. You all figure out what you want to do with them. I absolutely love that. It just makes it so much less stressful for me. I know you love it. I know the people watching this love it. That's what that's what a lot of fans are liking about uh, college football, what what's makes it interesting to them. I know I'm in the minority on on not doing it, but I love it. It's great conversation and good fodder, and I like when our numbers disagree. It makes it even more fun. Moving forward, we have interesting. This game went from not interesting to very interesting in, in a week. We have Texas State. On the road at UTSA, going to talk to Bobcats on this episode here. Something I thought we'd never get a chance to, and I'm so excited for it. Uh, UTSA, 12.5 point home favorite with an over-under of 65.5. Game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. on ESPN+. Plus. So you're going to have to have the streaming service to watch this game. It actually opened with the Birds at 10 point favorites, uh, and then that climbed pretty quickly. Not through any key figures or anything, but uh, you know it, it is worth noting. Uh, half stayed off the top. This is a 
classic letdown spot for Texas State. Uh, coming off that high on the road, going back on the road to play at the Alamo Dome, only 45 minutes down the road from San Marcos that they're playing in San Antonio. Uh, it was their first win versus a Power 5 team in school history. Now, they haven't been in the FBS that long since 2012, but uh, still, big, big mark there. There's 18 explosive plays combined in week one, plus 18 havoc plays. Uh, Texas State and Baylor was exceedingly watchable, uh, even outside of the upset there. But I was actually really impressed with Texas State's defense. Even though they gave up a lot of explosive plays, I mentioned earlier in our Utah Baylor preview that Texas State's defensive line just dominated up front. Uh, Ben Bell, he had a 37.5% win rate on his pass snaps, pass rush snaps, and an 18.8% PRP, which is the total pressures, hits, and sacks. So he was in the backfield frequently and often making a fool of the Baylor offensive line. Texas State's offense, 14.3 yards, a dot average depth of target for TJ Finley, and 22 and a half seconds per play. That's the 11th fastest pace in the country from last week. UTSA, offense didn't look great. Frank Harris didn't look great. They only had a 37% success rate against Houston, as well as a minus 0.2 EPA for per drop back. And when you're talking about Frank Harris, who's who's a stud, and with the decent receiving core, I know they're out JT Clark, but I, that yikes, not great, not a good performance that they turn in there. They threw three interceptions, forced, forced no turnovers themselves, or four for 13 on third down. Uh, they had seven explosive plays though, which is good. And they also finished with a 53% post game win expectancy, but all those turnovers just just couldn't get it done. Yeah, um, agree with a lot of that, Brett. I have UTSA minus 13 and a half in this one. It's an 83% win expectancy. The Roadrunners, you mentioned, fell 14 to 17 in a tough, evenly played, you said 53% postgame win expectancy. That means it's evenly played game at Houston last week, which is exactly what the model expected, actually. The two unit rankings move, uh, moves were perfectly offset. The defense improving from 78 to 60, the offense falling from 37 to 61. You mentioned the offensive struggles. My numbers agree with that. Means UTSA held steady at number 54 overall. Texas State, on the other hand, I mean, they scored the upset of the season to date. We've talked about it. 42-31 win at Baylor in week one. Catapulted the Bobcats to number four in my most deserving rankings early on here. Um, They're number one on my 2023 overachievers list. Um, Subject to change, but that's where they are currently. Only Oklahoma and Colorado experienced a larger rating boost than Texas State, who is up 6.3 points this week and 24 spots from number 124 to number 100. You said you were impressed with the defense. I was too, but my model actually expected it. The defense held steady. They're still around number 70. Not a whole lot changed for me. The difference was the offense skyrocketed. I had them second to last. There was a lot of turnover. We talked about this team in the preseason. There was a lot of roster turnover. Didn't know what to expect. I had them second to last. They're now up to number 104. So again, Still the weaker side of the ball, but that's great improvement for just one week. And if they can continue that, watch out. They could end up being a player um, in the Sun Belt as they have the number three defense in their own division. You know, you pull an upset or two. They've already done one. You pull an upset or two in conference, and you could be right there. The model was very impressed. Now I'm curious if that performance can be replicated against one of the better teams in the American. You said it's a classic letdown spot. Um, I don't know how they're going to be feeling. I mean, they're going to be feeling good. Are they going to be able to get refocused? Don't know. Bottom line, I have UTSA minus 13.5 at home. It equates to an 83% win expectancy for the Roadrunners. Yeah, I would probably look to play over Texas State's team total. Uh, Those numbers are not yet out. Those, Those should be out sooner rather than later. 
Um, but it's because I, I really do believe in this offense. I, I don't think what we saw against Baylor was a fluke at all. Uh, Baylor's defense not great, but that's not why they scored a bunch of points. I think if you get anything under 28, that's playable in my mind. Uh, taking Texas State's team totals probably, honestly, over the whole year. Uh, also take a peek at rushing totals for Frank Harris since they generated a lot of explosive plays, and Texas State has a propensity to give those up. I don't victory lap often, but I but I am going to take an early one. If you go back to my Sun Belt preview, my long shot to back was the Texas State Bobcats. And I don't think I agreed with you on that one, so no. kudos. Nope, many people didn't. It is early, though, so I'm not going to take the full victory lap yet. We'll revisit in a couple of months. Okay. Get ready. Bu- buckle your belts, folks. We got the Sickos game of the week. It is the Cyhawk game. <laughs> we have Iowa, a four-point favorite at Iowa State, with a beautiful over-under of 36.5 points. This game kicks off at 3.30 p.m. on Fox. They are battling for the Cyhawk Trophy. This is the first time that we've talked to Iowa State on this podcast in terms of teams this year. And since they had that gambling investigation kind of clear up a little bit, uh, five starters are suspended. It's like they're five best players. We're talking Hunter Deckers, Jareel Brock, like defensive linemen. Like a lot of these guys are not going to be playing probably ever again. Uh, and they're definitely out for this game. And yet they still managed a 30-9 to win over Northern Iowa, who is the number 18 FCS team for my ratings. Uh, actually, like, solid win. I, I That number dropped from, I think, Iowa State minus 21. Uh, props to them for nailing it on the open. But it closed at minus 6. So there's a huge middling opportunity there that I did try to take advantage of. That, eh, it was pretty close. The power ratings still like Iowa State, too. Uh, I have them 37th. I'm not sure, though. This feels like a team that will fold against better competition, given the state of that roster. Uh, and then on the other side, take a drink. Iowa's offense didn't look great. Uh, two two quick scores, then absolutely nothing. Uh, you have to score points on Utah State. They showed an ability to score, and they just stopped. I, I don't know. There's no excuses here. They didn't get their 25 points. That's that's an opportunity to score 40. So when you play Wisconsin and you only come away with 10, or you play Minnesota, you only come away with 10, you have a little bit of leniency there. Brian Ferentz, good riddance, man. I, I think he's probably toast. There are only a handful of Power 5 versus Power 5 matchups you can put in the sicko category, I think. This one, this one probably <laughs> makes one the cut, if we're, if we're being honest. I agree with you. Um, it's still an interesting game, and, uh, and it's a rivalry game. I love that. It, early in the year, we don't get many of them. I have it as a pick so I think it's going to be a really competitive game. I, still, I get it. There's uncertainty still around these teams. What do they look like without these players that aren't available? I have a 51% win expectancy for Iowa, um, so this really is a true toss-up. Despite the 24-14 win against Utah State in Week 1, the model was not impressed with Iowa. They're down more than two, um, two points in the ratings, and they fell from number 27 to number 37 in the rankings. The defense lost its number one uh, unit rank, but it's still number three. I mean, this is still a really good, really good Iowa defense. The offense fell, though, from 86 to 94. I was hoping to see some improvement from this uh, unit from year over year. Had them 86 coming in. They're down already. Um, you said it. I'm going to say it. I don't think this team can average 25 points per game against Big Ten defenses when it couldn't even get to that threshold against a Utah State defense that I have ranked number 93. You're playing in the Big Ten West. There's a lot of really good defenses. If you can't get it against Utah State, I just don't see it happening against against uh, the Big Ten throughout the year. So uh, I just I don't think they're going to get that performance incentive bonus, and I don't know what that does for his job moving forward there, uh, Ferentz. But who knows? I, I'm not going to art or clamor for anyone to lose their job. I certainly wouldn't appreciate if someone did that to me. But at some point, the performance has to back um, has to back up your the validity of you being in the role. We'll see if he can get it turned around this year. Um, hasn't happened to date. Iowa State beat a good FCS opponent, as you said, in Northern Iowa in Week One. 
basically looked exactly like the model expected. Um, Cyclone's rating is up 0.1 points, like very minimal. The ranking is down one spot to number 48, so again, very minimal. The offense up just one spot to number 83. The defense is actually up five spots. It's now number seven, so again, I think this is a really good defense. Both these defenses are incredible, as they usually are, um, with the Cyhawk game. Um, whichever offense is able to make a big play or two, I know you're pushing your luck trying to get two big plays from these offenses, it could decide the outcome of the game. Um, I know the general Costaball fan loves points. I, I get it. I love rivalries, and this is a great one to me, even though the offenses aren't the high power that we want to see. We get it in week two. We don't get many early in the year like this. As I said, I am very excited for this one. I don't. I am a sicko, I guess. I, this one to me, it's a sicko-adjacent game for different reasons, <laughs> but uh, it's a rivalry game. How do we not get up for those if you're a college football fan? It's in Ames. That could be a big boost for the Cyclones. Bottom line, I have it as a pick 51% win expectancy for the Hawkeyes. Um, honestly, I have to go with the system play under take, take it under the points. I'd love to get 37 or 38. Those do matter uh, a little bit here. And we're, we're getting 36 and a half. So just under that, uh, I don't think that's low enough. These offenses are dreadful. They played uh 10 to seven was the final score last year. Three of their last four matchups dating back to 2018. The winner has scored in the teens. The winner scored in the teens. FEI projects 20 total points. So betting any number doesn't matter. Uh, I'm taking under. <laughs> it's crazy <laughs> you're not wrong it's, it's just crazy yeah uh okay this is this is the game of the week uh i'm curious to know where it is on your season rankings for watchability we have the number 11 texas longhorns at the number three alabama crimson tide bama is a seven point home favorite this game has an over under 54 and a half points kicks off 7 p.m on espn that's your college game day choice uh this game is probably gonna be pretty electric Alabama, interestingly, is now the number one power-rated team after week one. I saw that move in uh, many rankings and the aggregates as well. Jalen Milrow looks to be the starter again this week. I don't think we learned anything about him, though, from the MTSU game. But we are going to learn a lot about uh, him this week. There's going to be usable data points on both of these teams following this game. Alabama carries a 56-game non-conference win streak into this it, you know as close as they came was that 20 to 19 win uh, against Texas last year a lot of people are saying Texas could win this game this year maybe it is at stake here but currently on a 56 game non-con win streak Texas they were as vanilla as could possibly be last week they're a little bit sluggish to start against Rice but they ended up taking care of business I think it's because they didn't want to show their hand for anything for this game uh, my favorite matchup to watch maybe in the whole country the, this this week is the Texas wide receivers against Alabama's defensive backs we're talking the number four defensive back unit in the country and the number five wide receiving core according to Phil Steele's preseason unit ranks I think it's still early enough in the season to count those as a considerable at least this may be the only country or only unit in the country pardon me capable of manning up Texas's pass catchers. Uh, I, I don't know that there's many others that can go toe-to-toe with the amount of depth and talent that they have. It's going to be an absolute fight. Yeah, uh, thanks for asking the question on the front end. Let me look this up over here, Brett. So I've got it for you. Um, last week, I had this game with a watchability score of 95.5. Oh, yeah. I mean, that would that would have been a top-10 game of the season. I had it number six in the preseason I now have it number 29 on the year. It's still my number one game of the week, but it's down to from 95.5 to 89.8. A mm-hmm. couple reasons for that. Uh, Alabama is improved. You said they were your power number one power rated team in your aggregate. They're num- my number 
one power rated team as well. Texas fell from number six to number 12. And because Texas was already the underdog, now they're a bigger underdog. So it's hurting the mm. the uh, overall um, competitiveness component of the watchability score. The average quality is still really, really good. Um, but the, the competitiveness has taken a hit now. I actually, this is my number one game of the week. Like I said, I wrote about it for the lines.com. That one's up there uh, on the website. I have Alabama minus 12 and a half now, which I think last week it maybe was like eight. So um, four and a half point swing with Alabama coming up and Texas going down. It's an 81% win expectancy. My previous number one Georgia and number two Ohio State struggled for parts of their games in week one. Alabama looked good from the jump in their 56-7 win over Middle Tennessee. The Tide are now one and a half points clear of the Bulldogs and Buckeyes in my power ratings, and they boast the number two offense and number six defense in the nation. Um, this is now projecting as Alabama's most difficult remaining game of the season. It was kind of a toss-up before between this one and the home game against LSU. We saw what happened to LSU. Their power rating uh, went down accordingly as a result of that game. So this is the toughest test of the year by my numbers for Alabama. They're getting it early here I expect Nick Saban to have these guys ready after the scare in Austin last year they, they pulled it out but it was a 19-20 victory um, for for the uh, Crimson Tide in Austin a year ago even though Texas won 37-10 against Rice in week one the Longhorns performance as you mentioned did not live up to the model's lofty expectations so Texas is down like I said from number six to number 12 the defense actually improved um, I liked what I saw on that side from number 16 to number 12 so really good defense the offense tumbled a little bit though had them number 11 now they're number 25 you said they had a sluggish start I agree the numbers don't like that when you're projected to be the better unit by a significant margin you got to come out with your foot on the gas to start um, and Texas did not do that my numbers favor Alabama on both sides of the ball and this game is in Tuscaloosa I'm sure Texas was holding things back. You said they were very vanilla. I don't disagree with that. They didn't want to put everything on tape for Alabama to study. But if the Longhorns are going to pull this one off, they're going to need to dig deep into their bag of tricks. Um, the last time Nick Saban lost at home, you talk about their non-conference win streak. The last time they just lost a game at home, period, conference, non-conference, Joe Burrow's LSU Tigers in 2019. It's been a while. Bottom line, I have Alabama minus 12.5 at home. It equates to an 81% win expectancy for the Crimson Tide. I think a big question is, well, how is Quinn Ewers going to uh, play here? Because he played really well until he got hurt in last year's game. But on the road, he's actually been pretty solid. And I have to give a shout-out to uh, the college football nerds for sharing this data here uh, that I'm going to share here. 67% completion rate, 8.4 yards per attempt, and under a 1% interception rate on the road. Not bad. He didn't play very well at the end of last year, but but I think he'll be able to come in here. The numbers suggest that he may be able to come in here and play a pretty solid game. Uh, the numbers say Alabama's undervalued. Your numbers say it. My aggregated say it. There's about 11.7, so 12 right right by you. So I'd probably take seven or better if I had to bet on this game. But to be honest, uh, I don't think this is a game I'm, I'm going to bet on in terms of spread and total. Uh, it's just one that I'd like to sit back and enjoy and learn some things about these teams. Uh, number 13, Oregon is a six-and-a-half-point road favorite at Texas Tech. Game has an over-under of 66.5 points, projecting a good old-fashioned shootout in Lubbock. This game kicks off at 7 p.m. Eastern on Fox, Texas Tech. <sighs> Jumped out to a 17-0 lead. The laying the point to attack on the road was looking really, really good. And then they gave up 20 straight points. They had a total of six offensive plays in the middle eight. Uh, Wyoming had 18 for reference there. They were unable to get a single interception on three turnover-worthy throws from Andrew Peasley, and he made him, they made him look absolutely surgical. Uh, Peasley 
not that great of a quarterback. Although I do have to give a hat tip. That last throw uh, for the for the tying touchdown was genuinely excellent. Like, unbelievable. I'm sorry, the winning touchdown. Uh, genuinely ex- excellent there. Uh, but Texas Tech had an 83% postgame win expectancy. I've, come on, guys. What are we doing? Why are we Why are we going on the road to Laramie and laying games like this? I asked this last week, uh, even though I was laying the points to the Red Raiders. I mean, shoot, what are we doing? Uh, Lubbock, though, it is a difficult place to play after dark. Uh, you know, Oregon's coming from Autzen, so they have their own home field advantage that they know and that they're comfortable with. But, but Lubbock is a darn, darn difficult place to play, especially when you're talking about at night here. I, you know, I, I wouldn't take too much stake in that loss to Wyoming. I think it was a look-ahead spot. It's a weird place to play. Just all those things. Oregon on the other side dropped 81 on Portland State. I, come on, guys. <laughs> Just they, they, they were handing the ball off, and Portland State couldn't do anything about it. That is a 65th-ranked FCS team if you're talking uh, numbers here. Uh, if Texas Tech's defense made, made Andrew Peasley look pretty good, again, he finished top 30% in EPA per dropback uh, last week then I fear what Bo Nix is going to be able to do in this game. Better pass catchers, of course, a Heisman candidate, a much, much better player. Uh, Tech did pretty well at the line of scrimmage. They did stop 15 Wyoming runs at two yards or fewer. Uh, but there's a lot more speed and depth and health from Oregon. You're talking uh, Bucky Brooks, maybe the best uh, running back in the Pac-12, one of the highest graded from last year. Uh, the backup, Noah Whittington, who is a really talented kid from Western Kentucky, he missed last week, but he should be go, good to go this week. So, better opponent. It was a letdown spot last week. Uh, wh- what do you make of this game? Yeah, admittedly, this game lost some luster after Texas Tech was surprised by Wyoming in overtime last week in Laramie, as you talked about there. I now have Oregon minus 9.5, which is a 76% win expectancy. Oregon's up nearly five points after throttling Portland State 81-7 to in Eugene last week, as you mentioned. They're now number nine in my power ratings. Not much movement to the offense or defensive ranks. The offense is still top 10. The defense is still mid-40s. There should be a lot of offense in this game. But the difference for me is the Oregon offense, the best unit on the field, against the Texas Tech defense, now the worst unit on the field, ranking in the mid-70s. The Tech loss to Wyoming last week was among the biggest surprises of the week for me. Yes, it was on the road. Yes, I always say playing on the road is the hardest thing to do in college football. But man, with an 82% win expectancy going in, I really thought the Red Raiders were going to get it done. I know you did too, Brett, talking about what what you had on the line there. Instead, they're down more than two points in the ratings. They fell from number 22 to number 34 in the rankings. Offense held steady right at number 23, but the defense dropped from 61 to 74. I was not impressed with this Texas Tech defense, and that was the side of the ball that I had the most questions about anyway. So that, to me, as I mentioned, it's going to be the the key to the game here as they face Oregon's number six projected offense. Texas Tech should be focused after the wake-up call in week one. It really wasn't a wake-up call. I mean, you got beat. Like that's You're awake. Like Holy cow, what's going on? Can't happen again. The game's in Lubbock. These fans should be amped up to help the team avoid an 0-2 start. I just don't know if it's going to be enough. This was a sexy pick for a lot in the Big 12. It was a sleeper pick in the Big 12. A lot of hype around this team. It is not the start to the season they expected. I don't think this is the week they get it turned around, though. Bottom line, I have Oregon minus 9.5 on the road, which equates to a 76% win expectancy for the Ducks. Yeah, my aggregated power ratings still like Texas Tech quite a bit. Uh, I think this is a bounce-back spot. But not one where they bounce back and can easily secure a win to get back on track. I think it's one where we're going to look at them and say, okay, they looked a lot better this week. They played hard. They played tough at home. Uh, but, yeah, you said it. I think they really cost themselves uh, losing to Wyoming there. Bad, bad start to be 0-2. Uh, 
Uh, I lean Oregon. If if it's under seven points, I'd probably take Texas Tech above seven points. The home environment seriously underrated here. It's going to be a very, very difficult place to play. But Kelly, let's finish this up. We got to visit the the FCS really quick because there's actually a barn burn. Maybe the the highest ranked at least matchup of the week. We have number three Montana State at number one South Dakota State. Kicks off at 7 p.m. on ESPN+. This is an enormous matchup between top five opponents. I will absolutely have this up on one of my screens. Early chance rain for this game. It's a lowest chance, but it is a chance. Uh, I favor South Dakota State by 8.2 points. But intriguing matchup here. South Dakota State's rush game with Isaiah Davis, who's been in school for what seems like 17 years, running guys over consistently, and Mark Gronowski versus Montana State's rush defense that allowed only 57 non-sack rush yards last week. On the other side, you have South Dakota State against Montana State's rushing attack. Montana State wants to run the football. They're going to run it a ton. Last week, they piled up 402 yards on the ground. True freshman Scott Scottry, I think it is, Scotter, Scottry, Humphrey, uh, he had 114 rushing yards and three touchdowns. Uh, pretty impressive there. This is probably a preview of a matchup we're going to get later on in December. I'm wearing the Montana State shirt, but I, I unfortunately I have to fade them. Uh, I'd probably lean anything South Dakota State under minus 10. Yeah, uh, my power ratings for my FCS light model match up actually with the rankings of these teams. I have number, number one, South Dakota State. I have a minus five and a half at home against number three, Montana State. Again, with my FCS light model, which I've introduced this year. You know, we skipped a lot of games. Notre Dame, NC State, Wisconsin at Wazoo, Auburn, Cal, UCF, Boise, uh, even Arizona, Mississippi State. I would love to talk about all those games. I do have action on some of those. So if you are interested in hearing some of those plays specifically with Mississippi State, Arizona, please hop on over to our Discord server. You can find the bets over there. And you can also connect with over 4,000 sports betting fans and get live updates in the college football server. Join a sharp and active community. It is People were talking there at like 1.45 a.m. yesterday about uh, Sean Lewis and Georgia Southern. Like, There's some good conversation there. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to Align's YouTube for weekly college football odds and betting videos all season long. Subscribe to us on your podcasting app of choice, be it Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. And if you liked what you heard, please drop us a review and let us know your leans in the comments or what you thought about our leans in this game here or our numbers. Kelly, before we get out of here, please plug where everybody can find your work. Absolutely. You can find me on uh, X, Twitter, uh, at KFord Ratings. They have the website, kfordratings.com, that gets updated with uh, new content every single day. Doing some writing over at thelines.com, two articles a week, top three games in the watchability metric, and then also the NBC Big Ten primetime game of the week. This week, that is uh, the mighty Charlotte 49ers at uh, Maryland. So I'll be writing about it every single week. We've got that one. Uh, but the three most watchable games also, I mean, are going to be really fun. We talk about Texas Alabama as a headliner, but all three just fit fantastic. So the lines.com uh, in addition to K ratings.com. Well, thank you so much as always for watching. I am Brett Gibbons. That's Kelly Ford. And we'll see you all next week.